I often ask myself, what do we as Christians have that is so good that it's a shame that the world has to live without it? The answer, I believe, is the good news about Jesus, and that is worth sharing. This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I pray that today's message shares that good news and that you are richly blessed by it. I ask you to please remain standing for the reading of God's Word today from John chapter 3. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God, I pray that today as we study that word, as we study that ancient witness, you will speak again. That we will hear you. That we will learn what it is to surrender to you, to trust you, to be born again. In your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So here we are in the fourth week of our face-to-face series where we're talking about how an encounter with Jesus changes everything. And, and, and if I'm going to talk about people in the New Testament that have life-changing encounters with Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and start with, uh, well, I'm going I'm to include Nicodemus. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 has this encounter with Jesus. Now, Jesus meets a lot of people in the Gospels. Folks with money, folks without money. Folks with influence, folks without influence. Folks with connection, folks without connection. Today, as we talk about Nicodemus, you're talking about someone who has all of those. He seems to have it all together. While the Bible doesn't say much about him personally, 
it does communicate clearly that he is a major spiritual and political leader in his community. Okay, let me, let me, let me teach a little bit. Is it all right if I teach some Bible? All right. To be a Pharisee means that he's been trained, and I know, I know the Pharisees are the bad guys, if you're just taking a simple reading of the gospel. But, but you need to know that to be a Pharisee, you had to be trained in the Torah, the law of God, more than the average person. As a matter of fact, a lot more. You see, you would start at four years old, everyone learning the Word of God and learning to memorize Torah, four years old. Okay, they had their toddler class. And they would, they would continue training. And, and, and as you kept graduating up, you would keep going. And every now and then there would be kind of big testing moments. And say at six years old, they would say, what have you learned? And, and, and the best students would be advanced on. And the worst students, they would kind of say, thanks so much for being here. You can go back home and learn a trade. And so they might become fishermen. Like their father. We meet a few of those who end up following Jesus. But then they would go on, and at 10 years old, they would be tested again. And at 13, they would be tested again. And then at 18, they'd be tested again. And pretty soon, you got to be where you were the smartest person in the room about the Scriptures. And then they would let you be a rabbi. Then you got to be a Pharisee. You see, he is among the elite students of the Torah, the law of God. It's likely that he was a lawyer, well-versed in the scriptures of his people. He was on the assembly of the Hebrew legislature, the high court judges known as the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin itself is a, is a, is a court made up of about 70 really, really, really influential and important people. And he's one of those. You're talking about one of the who's who, one of the elites of his society. And the picture we get is that Nicodemus is important with power and influence and wealth and notoriety, who has it together politically and financially and socially and religiously. But in John 3, we see this important authority figure coming to Jesus under cover of darkness. At night. It's almost as if they want to keep the meeting a secret. And he shows up and he's very polite, Nicodemus. He's humble, he's even pretty open minded. Imagine having the credentials and the resume that Nicodemus has. And then still having to use or being willing to use the flattering term rabbi to address this itinerant carpenter's son. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who came from God. That's, that's pretty generous. Hello, teacher Jesus. My friends and I, we've heard about you. We heard about that miracle at Cana where you turned the water into wine. That was last chapter, John 2. 
We've heard about your teaching. All in all, it seems like you're doing something very unique, something special. Sounds like the sort of thing that God does. What gives? Help me out here. And I, and I don't think he's looking for a creedal statement from Jesus. I, I think he's chasing a hunch. We know you're from God. We know you couldn't do the things that you do unless you were from God, right? Right? Now, whereas Nicodemus has been really cordial, Jesus' answer, not as cordial. It's more of a challenge. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You must be born again. Now, Christianese has used this term, born again. And we've misused this term a lot. That when we talk about being born again, we generally are talking about in reference of altar calls or invitations and a particular moment of salvation, conversion stories. I recently was pointed to a survey by a pastor, of my, a pastor friend of mine where it was a survey of words that people, that Christians use to describe themselves. And, you know, things like saved, right? Disciples. Those words. Born again was on the list, but it was 24% of Christians were comfortable using the term born again to describe themselves. And there's a part of me that wondered how in the world can you identify yourself as a Christian but not think of yourself as born again? And I think it's because those words may come with certain baggage because of the way it's been used and the way that it's been bantered about, the way it's been, the way it's been thrown around that, that people are not necessarily comfortable with it. But, but I want to talk about the word born again because the word born is really clear. We understand what born means. It means to be born. It's pretty great, right? It's exactly what you think it means. It's not a difficult word to understand. The tricky part in born again is not the born part. To be given life. The tricky part is the again part. What does Jesus mean when he says you need to be born again? And I'm, I'm going to walk through today three options for what Jesus could have meant by born again. Okay, and scholars, they've narrowed it down and said basically it's, it's one of these three that Jesus means. Okay, first option for born again is that it means again. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Thanks for defining words with the word. Um, last night, to, to be joyful is to have joy. Yep, nailed it. Right? We were, we were at a winter camp and we were talking about some of our feelings and the difference between happiness and joy. And one of the students said, well, to be joyful is to be full of joy. And I was like, well, we're not going to get those seconds back. <laughs> That's what the word is. Uh, defining with the word is not usually good. But here's the thing. I didn't want to write out, you know, again, meaning another time. 
again. Okay, Here, here's what it, there, there are some things in the flesh that can't be done again. But in the spirit, God is able to give you the chance to do again what you didn't think you could do but once. There are some things we think, no, that can't happen again. That only gets to happen once. And God has the ability in the spirit to make it happen again. A second time. You see, God is the God of second chances. And we can walk in again. And we can live in again. And we can try in again. How many of you love the God of again? Get this, to be born again, and man, this is, this will change your life. To be born again is to recognize that my last time is not my last time. Come on now, y'all, y'all need to wake up. That was pretty good. Thornhill, that deserved better than it got. To be, to be born again is to recognize that my last time is not my last time. That my mistakes are not the end of me. That my failures are not fatal. That no matter how much I mess up in God, God gives me again. And because of Christ's death and sacrifice, I'm given new life. When he said, it's finished, he wasn't talking about his life. He was talking about my mistakes and my accomplished salvation. Those sins are finished and covered in the blood of Jesus. And being born again means that I accept what God offers in Jesus again. Another chance. Born again. Well, that was a pretty good sermon. I got two more options. I better pace myself. Option two. To be born anew. Okay, this, to, the, the difference between being born again, again means a, a second time. Anew means something has changed. Something is made new. There is something that isn't what it used to be. That what it is now is different than what it used to be. To be born anew is to realize that you've had your life changed. And I would be remiss to tell you, or if I didn't tell you, I don't think you prove this in church. That you're born anew? Well, what do you mean, preacher? Make it plain. All right, I'll make it plain. I think most anyone can act holy for an hour. I don't think you prove that you're born anew at church. I think we come here and we behave. Yeah, sometimes. (laughs) Amen, brother. That was great. (laughs) Being born anew means that when I look at myself and where I am now and where I used to be, I can declare with all sincerity that I am not who I used to be. That my life has changed, not simply that I come and behave for an hour. 
And, and I understand why I changed. That being born anew is not changing my life simply because I got hot or I got caught and not because it's hurting me. Being born anew is knowing I'm changing because I'm hurting God. That I have a God consciousness that convicts me when I'm outside of God's will. Option three being born from above. That something outside of me, something above me, is acting on me. Something in me has been birthed by something higher than me. And until that hand reached down from above, I didn't realize that I wasn't really living. But if something greater than me and higher than me and stronger than me comes and touches my life, then I can do what I was made to do but never could. You are more than flesh. You are more than degrees. You are more than zip codes. You are more than tax brackets. You are more than titles. You are more than salaries. You need something from up there to reach into your life down here. You see, being born from above is not about what you know or what you earn or what you accomplish. None of that really matters. Being born from above is about what God is doing. And you can't see it because of your social position, your achievements, your wealth, or your your popularity or reputation. All of those, as a matter of fact, keep you from seeing it. This is how it is with being born. It's a free gift. You didn't choose it. It just happened and all of a sudden there you were. A screaming mess. It, it, it's, it's like that. So it is with the new birth. To receive the gift, you have to give your self-sufficiency away and to see the kingdom and make sense of it. In Genesis chapter 2, God made humans from the dirt by his spirit. And something up there had to give life to something down here. You see, my flesh has never been enough. I need God every day to walk with me and talk with me and hold me. I need you right now, God. I'm nothing without God. In spite of everything I may have made of myself by my own efforts, Jesus is telling me to grow past my self-sufficiency. He says, you've got to be born again. You've got to start over. Long pause. Jesus waits. Nicodemus 
finally responds. How can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus responds and says, that's not possible. Now, here's my hunch. You ever, you ever said something but meant something else? You know what I'm saying? Like you, you use some words, but you don't mean words. Like when I'm like, honey, is it okay if I go out with my friends? And she says, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I've been married long enough to realize that, yeah, that's fine. Is a dare. <laughs> it's a test. Just how stupid are you? How confident are you? But you're stronger than me. I have learned that not everything you say is what you mean. And here's what I think. Nicodemus says it's not possible. But what Nicodemus, what Nicodemus means is that it's too costly. I think Nicodemus understands what Jesus is saying a little better than he plays on. And so he says, born, born again, what, I mean, how, how, how are we going to do that? You can't do that biologically. And Jesus is looking at him going, you and I both know that that's not what I'm talking about. And Nicodemus is wrestling with, what, is it, what, what does it mean and, and, and how costly does this sound? You want me to start over? You see, here's the deal. There's an obviously sinful way to be your own Lord and Savior. Obvious ways. Do whatever you want. Have it your way. But there is a very subtle way. A far more dangerous, as a matter of fact, acceptably religious way to be your own Lord and Savior. And that's to act as if your good life and your moral achievement will essentially require God to bless you and answer your prayers the way you want. Sadly, many of us present ourselves in our reasonably good lives to God. And in no small satisfaction with ourselves, look to God to be impressed. trying to think of the nicest way to say what I'm, what's running through my head, and I don't have a lot of them. I'm, I'm going to say it, and know I love you. If there's a God who made you and loves you and sent His Son to die for you, you owe him so much more than a morally decent life. Amen. So Jesus explains, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
You have to start over, Nicodemus. It's, Nicodemus, it's like the wind. And, and at this point, Nicodemus understands there's some wordplay happening here. It's like the wind, but the word in Greek, wind, is also the same word for spirit. So he's talking about God's movement, and he says it's like the wind, and, and, and just like you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of it, that's how it is, Nicodemus. It's like the spirit. Now, if I, if, I, if I wanted to really draw out the implications of what Jesus is saying, I need, I need you to understand what Jesus is saying to him here. If he says that the Spirit of God and the activity of God is like the wind, then I need you to pay attention. This relationship with God thing is something that we can't control. I can't control the wind. In the same way, I can't control God's Spirit. I can't make God do whatever I want. That, that somehow what's going on, what God is doing in this world, and the relationship that we have with God is not simply up to us. It is not something we can control. We can't control the wind. We can't control... Get Preacher, let's go. We can't control who's in and who's out. We can't control who God loves and who God doesn't. We can't control who God saves and who God doesn't. Second thing I notice is this. Not only is the relationship with God something I can't control, but I need you to understand what God does is an experience, not an explanation. He doesn't explain to Nicodemus how it works. He says it's like the wind. You don't see what's, you you can't see it, but you can see its effects and what it's doing and, and all the ways that it changes the world around you. That's how it is. It's an experience that you can't control. It's, it's something happening that you didn't decide, but, but, but you don't get to, you don't get it explained. This is not, you're not getting the why. You're not even really getting much of a how, you're just getting a who. It's an experience, so much more than it's an explanation. And Nicodemus is uh, kind of bewildered. He says, how can this be? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. Don't you understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We testify of what we've seen. But still, you people don't accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you don't believe. How will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Nicodemus, the only access to this is me. I'm the only one who has come from God. You came from the Sanhedrin. I came from heaven. The very presence. I, was, I am the very presence of the one that all you can do is ask about. 
but you can't see him, Nicodemus, because you're in your own way. If you could make yourself nothing, you could see that God is lifting me up so that you could see him. And when Jesus says he'll be lifted up, we know that he's talking about his crucifixion. He's emptying himself completely so that we would see God and God's love for us. God's willingness to do anything it takes to save us. And he connects it to a time when Moses lifted up a bronze snake, which I know you are well familiar with Numbers 21. I don't know that if I were, if I were preaching a sermon, I don't know that I would have come up with Numbers 21 at this point. But it's on Jesus' heart. So he hits him with the Numbers 21 sermon about how this time that they were in the wilderness and and, and the people of Israel are in the wilderness and God keeps providing for them. God gives them shoes that don't wear out, but they complain about walking. God gives them food to sustain them and they complain about how boring the menu is. God gives them water to drink so that they're sustained and they complain that they are tired and it's hot. God guides them with God's very presence. And they ask, are we there yet? And in that moment, they complain and say, we wish we were back in Egypt. We had it good then. Nope. And God decides a little discipline is in order. And all of a sudden, up from the ground come some snakes. And the snakes begin to bite them, the people that are walking. And as the children of Israel get bit, they begin to die. And they realize that there's a little bit of a a discipline happening. And so they say, oh, wait, 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 we we were just talking. We didn't mean it. We didn't mean it. How about you help us out down here? We need some help. And he says, oh, you want my help? No, he doesn't say it like that. What he says is, here's what we'll do. I want you to make a bronze snake. I want Moses to lift the snake up on a pole. And when you see the snake, you can look at it. If you've been bitten, you can look at it and you'll be healed. God provides a way to live. Did you notice God didn't take away the the snakes? That sometimes the effect of my sin stays even as God forgives. Now we're preaching. Sometimes my disobedience continues to yield its fruit even though God is redeeming me. So their job is to look to the snake. And Jesus says to Nicodemus... I'm the snake on the pole that you need to look to in order to be saved. They're going to lift me up. When I'm lifted up just like that snake, you'll have to look to me to be saved from the snake bite you have. Jesus says, Nicodemus, 
And he doesn't just say it to Nicodemus. He says it to all of us who spend our lives striving to accomplish, to attain, to achieve, to be known, to be powerful, to be popular, to be admired, to be in control, to be successful grown-ups. He says, Nicodemus, do you realize that right now you are snake-bitten and dying from the venom? So what can I do? Is there an antivenin? Is there there something I can do to to save me from my snake-bitten state? Look to the one I lifted up. He is promising that if all of us would simply look to him, the one who gave himself away completely, that all of us who are dying can be saved. Can you go ahead and bring your team up? You see, here's, here, here, here's the, the heart of the matter. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus explains that his purpose is to save all who truly believe in him and look to him. But to look to Jesus means I need to be born again. Born anew. Born from above. So Adam, you gave us three options and you're telling us the answer is yes? You got it? Jesus is saying a mouthful. It is not the goal of Jesus to come and condemn people. Jesus is God's way of throwing the doors of heaven wide open so that people can be saved. For God so loved the world that in Jesus God gives us life again. God gives us life anew. God gives us life from above. And so my invitation is for you not to miss it. My invitation is for you to surrender, to to start over. To say, all the things that I've been pursuing are like garbage compared to the sake of knowing Christ. That sounds like Paul. There there is nothing I have that's more valuable. That everything I have, I'd be willing to sell it in order to lay claim to this. That sounds like Jesus. That God, I see what you're doing for me and I want to claim it. I want to put my hands on it and say, thank you. I want to surrender myself and start over. I want to be born again, born anew, born from above. I want you to do something in me I couldn't do to myself. I want to come up essentially changed. I want to be given another chance. And he says, then come and meet me where you participate in my death 
burial, and resurrection, come and meet me in the waters of baptism. Last year, we, we baptized 20 people into Christ. Amen. That, that's the most we've baptized in the last 25 years, at least. God is doing something here. And I ask you, don't miss it. He's offering you a chance at life. Again, anew. Life from above. If you want to be baptized into Christ, then come forward. We're going to stand and sing. And if you want to respond to Christ, respond now. Let's praise. A quick confession here. Truth be told, as I preach, I'm often preaching at myself. I'm saying what I need to be reminded of. Thankfully, my struggles and questions are not just mine. It turns out that being human brings some pretty universal challenges to all of us. I am so thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. It has never let me down. I pray that today's message blessed you with the good news. Remember, you are loved and chosen.